Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. But I have heard some reports that y'all kind of had church in here while I was gone. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, 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 I guess it just proves to me once again that this really isn't about me. This is about what God can do, amen? How unfair is it that my backup plan is Bob Ely? That's kind of unfair. I, that's not even right. That's like cheating. I feel like I'm cheating. I'm, that's a good backup, amen? I'm thankful for my dad and the fact that he's so uh, skilled with the word, amen? That's a great honor. In fact, it's not just a, a great uh, gift to me. It's a great gift to our body that we have voices like that that have an opportunity to speak into our lives. And I'm just grateful that you guys had church and God changed some lives last week. Amen. Amen. Well, congratulations to a couple of folks. Uh, uh, DJ and Tao in Brooklyn are on the Bethany basketball teams, and they, uh, they are moving on to area. They won their games yesterday. It was do or die, and they, uh, they, they're doing. So uh, they play this week, and we're excited about that what God is doing. We've had some great things happening around here. Had a uh, volunteer meeting on Sunday night. I'm not going to tell you all the details. Thankful for all the folks that, that serve here. Uh, in, a, in a body our size, we have over 130 volunteers and had 90 of them together last Sunday night. And I'm not going to tell you everything we talked about. You can just ask them. If you see somebody serving, say, hey, what did y'all talk about? We're going to share it with everybody, kind of the plans where God is leading us here in a couple weeks, but I just want to encourage you strongly before we move into God's Word this morning, I just want to strongly encourage you to be here for the next few weeks. Uh, next week is going to be really special. I'm not going to tell you why, but it will be really special. On the 10th is extremely important. We will have hopefully have all of our Passion Sports kids and their families, some of them for the very first time, 42 kids I think at the last count, and most of them are unchurched. They will be in here with us, and we will be treating them like rock stars. We will celebrate. We will yell louder for them than we ever yelled for the Thunder or for OU or OSU or anybody else. We will make them feel like rock stars. When they walk down these aisles to get their trophies, we will celebrate them and let them know that we love them and we're cheering them on, not just in basketball but in life. Amen. So I encourage you to be here. And then as we move forward to uh, Easter, I encourage you to remain faithful in your attendance. Well, I didn't get to preach to you last week, and I had started a series called Blush. Uh, the concept is basically this. There are uh, cheek coloring moments in all of our lives. I, I wish I could tell you that you could live life and never be embarrassed, but you know better. You've, you've had those moments. We all hate them, those embarrassing moments. You know you know those moments where you wish you could crawl in a hole and die? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we've all had them. We fall down and pop back up and hope nobody saw us, you know, and dust ourselves off. And I hope nobody saw me. We'd strut thinking, oh, I'll just pass it off. I meant to do that. And you know you really didn't mean to do that. Those moments that we fall, those moments that we fail, those moments that we make a fool of ourselves and somebody's watching. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those are blush-inducing moments, and, and we all have those and don't like them. Well, I stumbled, I, I've had it for years, and, it, and I remembered it. It has got to be the funniest illustration of a blush-inducing moment I've ever seen. I'm already, on, I'm already grounded for the rest of my life. My mom was in first service, and she grounded me for playing this video. So after service today, if you need me, I'll be in my room. Um, 
Uh, but I can't help it. I played this. I've seen this hundreds of times. I played this last uh, Friday night to show Julia, and I literally cried myself to, I mean, I laughed myself to crying. And so I want you to watch this and see if this isn't a blush-inducing moment. I can't believe it. It's my first blind date. Oh, I do it all the time. Really? You guys meet? Greg, Janice? We sure did. We've got chemistry here. You feel it? I felt it. All right, Janice. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a blush-inducing moment. Yeah, man. Woo! All right, how many of you have been on a blind date like that? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Wow. Oh, my word. That is funny to me. Woo! You're dismissed. I mean, come on. Yeah. See, society likes to portray Jesus as this uh, passive, soft, meek little guy. Uh, but how many of you know that Jesus wasn't any of those things? He, he was extremely controversial. I, I recognize now that we've heard the teachings of Jesus so much that we have become so accustomed to them that we don't even realize how controversial they were at that moment. When Jesus stood up and gave instructions and when he t took on the religious leaders, the things that he, were, that he was saying were controversial. They were never heard of before. They were totally radical. He wasn't soft and easy. And not only that, it's one thing to be controversial, but Jesus wasn't just controversial. Jesus was confrontational. He would get right up in your face and tell you the way it was and, and, and attack, if you will, and confront, if you will, your way of thinking and force you to think differently. He was confrontational. Jesus was that way. He had this tendency to ask people questions that would redden their cheeks in embarrassment. In fact, I'm beginning to wonder if the reason the original writers put it in red so that we would recognize Jesus said it wasn't, wasn't so that we would recognize that Jesus said it because that every time he opened his mouth, he was causing people to blush. He asked these knee-buckling questions that would cause you to think and to, to be embarrassed. And so two weeks ago, I started with one of the questions that Jesus asked his disciples. It was Luke chapter 4, verse 46. Let me remind you and refresh your memory. He looked at his disciples and made this, this question. He asked them this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you still don't do the things I say to do? And I told you that that ought to cause not only the disciples to blush, but that should cause us to blush. Because the truth is, is not only did the disciples have a tendency to listen to what he say and then do what they wanted to do, even after all these centuries have gone by, we too have the uh, tendency to say, Lord, Lord, until he says tithe. Until he says serve. Until he says turn the other cheek. Until he says love your enemies. Until he's, y'all ain't helping me none, so it got all quiet already, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we say Lord, but we don't treat him like Lord. And so I challenged you and said out of that, that we must come to this place where we become not just followers, but we become obeyers. Where when God says to do something, we say, 
Yes, sir. No questions asked. No negotiations made. We just toe the line and say, even if I'm not comfortable with it, it doesn't really matter what my comfort level is. What matters is that because you're Lord, I will do what you say to do. And then I said that most of us have a tendency to be lip-locked with Jesus rather than life-locked. Meaning that what happens is we follow him with our mouth and we say the right words and we say yes and we say I will obey. But our life isn't intertwined with him to where we come to this place where we recognize that it is only in Jesus that we live and move and have our being. And so we are life locked and so whatever he says to do we do it. And so we should blush. Well, I want to take you to another question this morning that Jesus asked his disciples that certainly would have caused them to blush. And I think it should cause us to blush, but I think more importantly, it should cause us to change. I want you to join me in your, in your Bible. If you have it in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has had an extremely busy, stressful day. In fact, this account, the backdrop of this account is that Jesus is trying to escape the, 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 the pressure and the the surrounding crowd, and he's trying to get away so he can have some time. And I want you to notice what happens in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, says this. Late that day he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Now, I'm going to stop right there only long enough to say you need to keep that little phrase right there. Let, let's go across to the other side in the back of your mind. I'm going to deal with it in a minute. It's important. It's not the main focus, but it is a focus. I want you to remember that. Let's go across to the other side. Look at your neighbor and say, other side. Yeah, okay. They took him in the boat as he was, and other boats came along. And a huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. And they roused him, saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down and said to the sea, Quiet, settle down. And the wind ran out of breath. I love that. The wind ran out of breath. And the sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded the disciples. And here you go. Here are his questions. And he said this to them. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? blush don't you have any faith at all they were in absolute awe staggered who is this anyway they ask wind and sea at his beck and call this must have been a doozy of a storm I, I, I mean, we're not talking like land lovers in the boat. I mean, I understand that Luke was probably along. He was a doctor. And I understand that Matthew may have been a long tax collector. But the reality is that most of the guys in the boat were lifelong experienced fishermen. This was not their first time in a boat. This was not somebody that needs the Dramamine patch to just get, out, get across. Now, th these guys had made their livelihood in a boat. They were accustomed to storms. And yet these experienced professional fishermen are overtaken by a storm that causes them to come to the conclusion that they're about to lose their life. It must have been a doozy of a storm. 
They are convinced that they're headed to a watery grave and they seem to forget for just a moment that they have special cargo on board. Jesus is on board. This isn't just like the, the carpenter down the street. This isn't the, 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 the dairy farmer down the street. Back in the back of the boat, sound asleep, is Jesus, the Son of the living God. And yet they seem to forget that this storm must have been a doozy. It caused them to forget that they had Jesus on board. And so, out of panic and out of terror and out of desperation, oh, by the way, Jesus uh, slept through what terrified them? Word. Jesus slept through what terrified them. Come on, get that in your spirit this morning. Jesus slept through what terrified them. You're getting it. In absolute terror. They run to the back of the boat and they rouse Jesus from his sleep. And I think what they're trying to do is shame Jesus. I'm just reading his word. I, they wake him up and say, don't you even care about us? Shame on you. Bad Savior. Bad Son of God. Shame on you. You don't even care. You don't, even, you don't even care enough about us to wake up during this storm. What's wrong with you? I think they were trying to embarrass Jesus. I think they were trying to make Jesus blush. Now, Jesus could have easily uh, stood up and, and done this scenario. He could have stood up and said, okay, waves, quiet down, and they would have quieted down. Wind stopped, they would have stopped. He could have laid his head back down on the pillow and said, hey, fellas, when we get to the other side, wake me up and we'll talk. But that's not what he did. Here they are trying to shame Jesus, embarrass Jesus, cause Jesus to blush. And Jesus turns the tables on them. And so what he does is with a simple but stern command, the storms stand still and the rodeo ride waves stop and smooth sailing is now their experience. And although he's quieted the external storm, he asks them an internal storm starting face reddening question. And here it is. Don't you have any faith at all? M maybe it produces a deeper blush when you read it out of the NIV. Because the NIV, he asked this question. Why are you so afraid? Then this. Do you still have no faith? I bet at that moment, at that very moment, the disciples instantly became seasick. I know there's no more waves, but I think they got seasick. I think they dealt with their stomachs churning and their lunch got loose. And I think they had gut-wrenching embarrassment because they have just at that very moment been exposed as faithless, faithful followers. At that moment, they blush. And so should we. Out of this account, I have three questions that I think we have to ask from what we've read, from what Jesus did, from the encounter he has with his disciples. I think there are some questions that have to be asked that should cause us to change, should cause us to examine our own lives. That, yes, they may cause us to even blush, but they are supposed to cause us to change. 
See, Jesus has just revealed to his disciples that even the elements are subject to his power. But I think Jesus was a pretty gracious guy most of the time. I think that when he calmed the waves and calmed the wind, that he turns and he looks at the disciples and says, Don't you have any faith yet? I think he was giving them a pass. I don't think he expected them in that one moment to process the fact that the wind and the waves were subject to his power, and yet he still verbally assaults their lack of faith and says, Why don't you have any faith? Don't you have any faith? at all surely Jesus you weren't picking on them because they haven't figured it out yet just because of what you just did no no what he's dealing with is the fact that when you read backwards you recognize that they should have believed that he could deal with this stuff already because what you recognize is that these same disciples have already seen him do a few things just a few things like, like he had seen them, he, they had seen him turn water into wine. Just a little thing. He had watched, they had watched him heal a nobleman's son. They had watched him cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue. Eyewitnesses. They, they had watched him completely and totally heal an AIDS patient. There ain't no AIDS in the Bible. What you talking about? Yeah, there was. It was called leprosy. It was devastating. There was no cure. It was terminal. It was the cancer or the AIDS of our day. There was no hope. And with one word, Jesus heals this guy completely, and he's standing there with skin like a baby. They watched him do that. Just a little thing. They, they had watched, and not only watched, they'd been participants in the greatest catch of fish that they'd ever encountered in their life in fact they had almost drowned before because jesus filled their boat with so many fish it almost drowned them they had seen him do that oh they'd watched the guy with the withered hand remember that one that happened before this jesus is walking around guy shows up with a withered hand he says stretch it out the guy goes boom hand comes out whole oh and by the way they had also already witnessed the ultimate proof of who he really was and the ultimate example of his power because he had just raised the widow's son from the dead. And so Jesus, in the middle of a storm, turns to his disciples and says, Don't you have any faith yet? In other words, I think the question that begs to be asked and answered today is, How much proof is needed? How much more proof do you really need? They have firsthand experience that he has authority over the physical. They have firsthand experience that he has, he has authority over the spiritual. And so he turns to these disciples, these eyewitnesses of his ability and his authority and his godness, and in essence asks them, how much more proof do you need? We interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon for just a moment. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to tell them one miracle that you've experienced in your life. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them. One, one miracle. Just one now. Okay, some of you can't think of one, so let me help you. 
Here we go. You're here. Because I want to tell you this morning that it's a miracle that some of you are here. Some of you ought to be in the bar. Some of you been in the bar, and you're here. Some of you ought to be in the gutter, and you're here. Some of you ought to be broke, and you're not. Some of you ought to be dead, but you're not. Some of you ought to be sick, but you're not. How much more proof do you need that Jesus is in your boat and that he cares about you? See, there's, there, there, he, let, let me tell you, I, I just need to remind some of you. He healed you. He rescued you. He protected you. He provided for you. He's loved you. He's moved heaven and earth to meet your needs. He has lavished gifts on you. He has opened doors. He has closed doors. He has guarded you. He has guided you. He has comforted you. He has granted you peace. He has given you joy. He's given you strength. He has heaped blessings on you that are so numerous you can't even stop and think of one because when you try to think of one, thousands flood your mind and now I can if I could just think of one but I can't just think of one you've been how much more proof don't you have faith by now why doubt why doubt why is it that when, when you are faced with a storm and when you are faced with a trial and when you are faced with a hardship and the waves look ominous and it looks like they're about to take your boat down for the last time, why in that moment are you still consumed with doubt and why are you still consumed with fear and why do you still go, I don't know if I'm going to make it. i got to Facebook the whole world and tell them I'm going down. Some of y'all are starring hee-haw, doom and despair. What in the world? Don't you have any faith yet? How much proof do you need? Why get nervous? Here's, here's, why do you try to take matters into your own hands? It blows my mind that people that, that Jesus has proven himself faith worthy over and over and over and over again. At the moment that we're confronted with a storm, we feel like we got to step up and do it. We got to fight our own battles. I'll fight my way out. I'll. No. Why do we look for answers elsewhere? Why do we turn to everybody but the one person that can solve our storm? How much more proof do you need? I just came to tell you this morning that Jesus has already proven himself to everyone sitting under the sound of my voice. The fact that you're in this room right now and in your right mind ought to be livid, living proof to you, vivid proof to you that Jesus cares about you and that you can trust him. See, I, I think there's a second question that we need to ask out of this account because I think that it forces us to ask this. I, do you have more faith for others than you do for yourself? See, the disciples apparently had no issue knowing that Jesus could heal others. They'd seen him do it. They apparently had no problem recognizing that Jesus could rescue everybody from death and from demon possession and even from hunger. But for some reason, they didn't have enough faith to believe that Jesus would watch out for them. 
I wonder how many of you sitting here this morning have come here and you have no problem believing that God can provide for so-and-so's family, but you doubt whether or not he can provide for yours. I'm preaching. I, I wonder how many of you are sitting here right now that if I had somebody sick stand up in the room, you would have no issue having faith that God can, can completely and totally heal sister so-and-so's disease, but you will languish in your own going, God, you apparently don't care about me. I know you love her, but I'm not really sure you can heal my disease. How many of you are sitting here right now that can pray, can pray in faith and believe that God can, can fix everybody else's kids and fix everybody else's marriage and give everybody else a great job but you're not really sure that he can do that for you see i challenge you that when we come to the place that we that we think that we that we come to this place where we have faith for everybody else's miracle more than our own i would challenge you that at that moment what is taking place is that we really if you boil it down we really think that jesus cares more for everybody else than he does for us oh i know i don't get me wrong now i know we know the scriptures we can quote them we, we can say like god is no respecter of persons we quote that, we just don't really believe that. Well, I ain't getting no help. This is like flying. I can feel this bouncing off of you coming right back at me. Some of y'all have, have all the faith in the world that God can help pastor. Pastor gets sick, man. Woo, we got faith through God. He raised him up, God. But you get sick, you got no faith at all. God must be mad at me. He don't like me no more. Pastor struggles financially. Y'all can get y'all to pray now. Woo. Pray. Pray. Pray, church. Y'all pray. But when you can't pay your bills. See, listen, what we really reveal at that moment, when, when we come to the place that we have more faith for somebody else than we do for ourselves, what we're really re revealing is that we basically have a trust issue. We really don't trust Jesus in the middle of our storms. In fact, what we've really done is we believe that Jesus is more willing to quiet everybody else's storm, but he has abandoned us in the middle of our storm. Although I came to remind you that the Bible says that God never forsakes us. I just came to remind you that God is never going to let you down. That God will always come through. I recognize that you got faith for everybody else, but it's about time that you establish some faith that God will do what he said he would do for you. I'm glad you can pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for my kids. They need it. I want you to pray for my wife. She needs it. She's got to live with me. I want you to pray for my cars. I hope they run until Jesus comes back. I want you to pray for my dog, even though I don't have one. I got rid of him. I couldn't stand him. Pray for him anyway. But I really would like for you to be able to rise up in, in yourself and pray with some faith about you. Because it's not enough for you to have faith for everybody else if you think that when you go through a storm, your boat's going down and Jesus is going to sleep through it. Jesus might not wake up when you want him to, and he might not respond exactly how you want to. But I got good news for you this morning. I'm trying to encourage you. Jesus will wake up at the right moment. It might be at the last moment, but at the right moment. He will wake up and he will calm your storms if you can establish faith that he's trustworthy.
Some of you got some trust issues. I, I, I'm glad you have faith for me, but I need you to get faith for you. The third question I got to ask you this morning, it's a blush-inducing question. See, I think we read this account so often, and what happens is we focus we focus on the storm. And I get it. We can, we can, man, I start talking about storms, and everybody sits up on the edge of the seat because you're going through one or you've been through one or you're about to go through one. Those are the only three stages in life. You, you're either about to go through a storm, you just got out of one, or you're in one right now. That's it. That's the only three stages. We're all there. So we read about storms, and we go, ooh, I got a word. I'm, I can hear the word, man. They're talking to me. I get that. But, but, but we focus so intently on the storm section that we miss what takes place before. We miss an important question that has to be asked and answered. I want you to notice that prior to ever stepping foot into the boat, prior to ever experiencing one boat swamping wave, prior to ever feeling a wind fill their sail that they didn't know that they could handle, prior to any of that, Jesus tells them while he's standing on the bank, He looks at his disciples and he says, let's go to the other side. Notice that he didn't say, let's go halfway and drown. No, 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 no. Jesus says, hey, fellas, these folks are driving me crazy. I got to get some alone time. Let's go to the other side. In that one simple statement, he didn't elaborate on it. He didn't write volumes about it. He didn't log it into the Internet. He just made a simple statement. Let's go to the other side. In that one simple statement, he has immediately revealed his purpose and his plan that he didn't intend to go halfway. He didn't intend for you to be halfway healed. He didn't intend for you to be halfway whole. He did not intend for you to be halfway delivered. He did not intend for you to be halfway happy. He did not intend for you to go halfway and then for him to forget about you and say, I gave you a halfway good experience. See you later. He said the other side. So I have to ask you this question that I think the disciples had to contend with, is his word really enough? The disciples knew that his word had enough power in it to raise the dead. Did they really underestimate the power and the authority and the ability of God's word when Jesus utters this statement, let's go to the other side if his word can raise the dead his word can get you across y'all didn't get that if his word can get the dead to rise up out of the grave and walk out then his word has enough ability and enough power to get you across to the other side I don't know how he was going to do it all I know is that when he says we're going to the other side if he had to get to the middle in a bad storm and look at the disciples and say just hover here a little while I know the boat just went down y'all just hover right here and since my word has the ability to create universes and to call light out of darkness and to cause trees to grow, then boat, boom, boat. Thank you. Needed a new boat. 
Or may, may, maybe, maybe, maybe he let the boat go down and they all get to walk on water because I don't know if y'all remember this, but one of his disciples, well, y'all ain't helping me none, his word has power in it. So the question is, is his word really enough? What, what word has he spoken over you that you have allowed situations and circumstances to convince you otherwise? That was good. I'll amen myself. How many of you have been given a promise when you were 16 years old praying around an altar at a youth camp and now because you're 46 years old and life hasn't turned out just like you thought it would, now you think that that promise has been nullified and that his word was dead. I'm sorry, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. I'm sorry, the Bible says that God's word will never return void. I'm sorry, if God said it, you can bank on it regardless of what you're facing and how rough the storm gets and so I just want to encourage somebody this morning don't waste time trying to validate a promise that he has simply called you to believe I know you can't figure out how he's going to make it happen now I mean now you got bills now you got kids now you got responsibilities now things look bad I know that you heard him say that what God has put together, no man can put asunder, but it looks like it's about to break up. I recognize that, you're, that God said over your kids that if you will train them up in the way that they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. But right now, they look like fools. I don't know what's wrong with them. I'm about ready to kill them. But I recognize that God's word always comes through I said his word says that he will never forsake us he's never seen the righteous begging for bread and I know there are bills coming in and there are bills due but I refuse to panic and try to work it out all by myself because I recognize that his word is enough Some of you have forgotten how powerful his word is. Some of you have had promise after promise after promise after promise, and you've forgotten the promise. You think you've messed up so bad and that life has gotten so hard that the promise will no longer come to pass, but you can bank on his word. His word said the other side. He's not going to take you halfway and let you drown. You're only halfway into the journey. Keep following him. Keep trusting him. Jesus is in your boat. He said he'd be with you, and yet you're scared of being alone. I know that because you'll date the first thing that walks alone. My biological clock is ticking. Yeah, and you take matters into your own hands, and then you're miserable because you didn't believe his word. He said he would strengthen you. In fact, the word says he's a strong tower. The righteous will run into him and be saved. And yet, although we know his word said that he would be our strength and our shield, we feel the need to protect ourselves and fight for ourselves, and we look for strength from everybody else but him. He said he would provide for you. Listen, some of you need to hear that word this morning. He said he would provide for you. What does that mean? Does it mean he's going to take care of all my finances? You obey him, do your part, live on a budget, listen to Dave Ramsey. Uh, I couldn't find that one in the Bible, but pretty good. 
Live within your means. Trust God with 10%. He's going to provide for me? Yeah. You mean I'm going to get a new Cadillac? I didn't say that. But it'll provide for you. He'll provide for me peace that passes all understanding. He'll provide for me comfort when I'm destroyed. He provides me friendship. He provides me love. He provides me grace so when I mess it all up, He provides. So is His Word enough? I'm convinced for many of us His Word's not enough anymore. It ought to cause us to blush. It ought to cause us to go back to where we recognize that we've got to change. So this morning I ask you three simple questions. One, are how much proof do you need? You're here. You're still breathing. Might not be like what you thought it was going to be, but you're here. Do you have more faith for everybody else than you do for you? Then you've got a trust issue. And third, simply this. Is his word still as powerful as it's always been? Or has doubt crept in? The disciples doubted his word before they ever even were faced with an obstacle. Some of you have allowed doubt to creep in and you haven't even faced anything yet. And I just want to remind you, I just want to encourage you to go back and think about what God has said about you. Think about that one second. I need some pause. I didn't even intend to do this. Stop for just a second and think about what God has said about you. What has he said about you? And whatever he said about you, it's as sure to take place as I'm standing here right now. And it will come to pass. It may not come to pass in your time frame, but it will come to pass in his time frame. If you will just take him at his word. Father, this morning, we make a conscious decision to examine the proof that you've placed in our life. We, we, have, we are eyewitnesses to your miracle-working, trustworthy power. I pray that in our own minds and our spirits right now, we would begin to recount all of the things that you've done for us. How much more proof? Don't we have any faith yet? When we've seen what you've done, how can we not have faith in you? You've been faithful. God, I know under the sound of my voice, there are probably some folks that are struggling to have faith for themselves. It's not that they can't have faith for everybody else. In fact, every prayer need that goes forth they rise up in faith. But this morning, I'm praying that you would renew their faith, that you love them, that you care for them, that you're in their boat, and that you want to minister to their needs. And God, I pray most of all that we would come back to this place where we would trust your word. Your word has more power. Your word is power. What you spoke to some of these individuals so long ago, that has either been forgotten or it seems like it's been undone. 
Father, we know this. Your word is sure. And I pray that you would renew the promises that you've made and that we would live in faith and in trust of your word. Your, we declare this together. Your word is enough. Whatever you say goes. Your word is enough. Come on, would you just say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Your word is enough. Come on, one more time. One, two, three. Your word is enough. Hear us, O oh God. We take you at your word. I want my prayer team to quickly move into place. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.